Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. One of the great joys of my life after now having almost three decades in ministry is some of the phenomenal kingdom relationships that God has brought into my life. And one of my very dear friends that I have known for over 20 years in ministry now is a man named Harold Peasley. Some of you have met Harold. You've been with me to Southern Africa and worked with Harold Peasley. Harold is a man that God has used phenomenally all over the continent of Africa and really all over the world. He speaks and travels all over the world. And he just has had such a tremendous impact on my life. And through the years, one of the things that I love most about Harold Peasley, and some of you have heard him, he's preached here a few times, is Harold is a phenomenal storyteller. And I don't know if it's the, the stories themselves or if it's his deep South African accent that just makes you want to lean into those stories. But one particular story that Harold Peasley told me that I've heard him tell it so many times now that when I get around him, I ask him to tell it to other people because I want them to hear it. I just recently had, had dinner with Harold, and we, we crossed paths in Nashville, Tennessee a couple of months ago, and Pastor Brian Hook was with me, and I said, Man, Harold, you got to tell Brian Hook that story, and he knew the one I was talking about. Um, so hopefully I've, I've whet your appetite enough that without the South African accent, you're still going to appreciate the story, all right? But the story's about a pastor by the name of Francis Dixon. He's a pastor of the last century who pastored a church in England. And Francis Dixon, one night at one of their services, they had planned a service where people were just going to share their personal testimony, how they'd come to know Christ. And in that service, there was a young man named Peter who stood up, and here was the story that he told about how he came to Christ. He said that he was in Sydney, Australia on vacation, and in Sydney, Australia, he was walking down a street called George Street in Sydney, Australia, and walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia, a little white-haired man, little bitty man, came up to Peter, and he said this, excuse me, sir. I don't mean to offend you, but do you know where you are going to spend eternity, heaven or hell? It's a very important matter. That is all. Good night. And the little white-haired man just walked off. And Peter's testimony was it was that question that he just could not get away from. That when he got back to England, led him to search out a Christian who could explain to him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter gave his life to Christ and became a born-again follower of Jesus. And he's sharing that in this service. And Francis was so impressed with that testimony. Well, about three or four weeks later, there was a mission team from another country that was visiting that church that Francis pastored and that Peter had shared that testimony in. And they invited that mission team up on the platform to all share their testimonies. 
Well, in the middle of sharing their testimonies, one of the young men who shared his testimony was a man named Noel. And Noel said, I was at one point in my life stationed in the military in Sydney, Australia. And he said, I was walking up a street in Sydney, Australia called George Street. And a little white-haired man out of nowhere came up to me and said, Excuse me, sir, I don't mean to offend you. But do you know where you're going to spend eternity, heaven or hell? It's a very important matter. That is all. Good night, sir. And Noel said it was that question that he just couldn't get away from that ultimately led him to giving his life to Christ after hearing the gospel and surrendering his life to Jesus. Well, you can imagine now, Pastor Francis, he's, he's pretty taken back by this situation. Here's a guy in his church and a guy from a mission team in another country. So, so Pastor Francis Dixon is now traveling a few months later to Australia in a little community called Adelaide, and he's preaching the gospel there at this service in Adelaide, the Adelaide Baptist Church. And he's preaching this, and he's so captivated by this story of Peter and Noel that he thinks, hey, I'm in Australia. I'm going to tell their story. So, so he tells their story as a part of his sermon, and a person in the back interrupts him and says, Hey, that's my story. <laughs> and from the back of the room says, I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia. Little white-haired man out of nowhere comes up to me and says, Sir, I don't mean to offend you. And you know what he said, right? So now he's kind of thinking, okay, this is something pretty interesting. So he travels from Adelaide over to Perth, Australia, which is on the far western side of Australia, and he's preaching again. And now he's got to like, i got to tell you this story. It's Peter, it's Noel, it's this guy in Adelaide at the Adelaide Baptist Church, and service ends, and a deacon in the church comes up to him. says, Pastor, you're not going to believe this, but that's my story. He said, one day I was on business in Sydney, Australia, and I was walking down a street named George Street. A little white-haired man out of nowhere comes up to me, asks me that question. Is that question that drove me to find the gospel? So Francis Dixon's now, his curiosity is at a, at a high, and he's, he's now traveling. About six months later, he's in India preaching the gospel at a missionary conference full of missionaries. And he's got to tell this story, right? So he tells them about Peter, and he tells them about Noel. He tells them about the man at the Adelaide Baptist Church. He tells them about the deacon, right? This is kind of like the sky is falling. he got Lucky Ducky and Goosey Lucy and all. So, so he's got all these people. One of the older missionaries comes up to him in India. He says, Francis, you're not going to believe it, but that's my story. He said, I was... One time traveling through Sydney, Australia, and I found myself on a street called George Street. A little white-haired man came up to me and said, Excuse me, sir. I don't mean to offend you. Three months later, Francis Dixon is preaching in Jamaica. Tells the whole story again. At the end of sharing that entire story, a man came up and said, You're not going to believe it. But I'm another one. So now Francis Dixon's like, all right, I'm going to Sydney. <laughs> so he goes to Sydney, Australia. And he goes up to, he finds a friend that he knows there. And uh, he says, um, I know this sounds crazy, 
but do you by any chance know a little white-haired man? And his friend says, oh, you mean Frank Jenner? He said, I guess. He said, I know where he is, but he said he's so uh, old now and sick that he's bedridden and he can't leave his little cottage, so I'll take you to see him. So Francis Dixon goes and he sits down in the home of Frank Jenner, this little old, dying, white-haired man. And he says, i got to tell you a story. And so he runs through Peter and Noel and the man from the Adelaide Baptist Church and the deacon from Perth and the missionary from India and the young woman from Jamaica. And he says, as he's telling the story, Frank Jenner just begins to weep. And here's what he said. I don't know how many thousands of times I've walked up and down George Street and talked to people about eternity. But this is the first time I've ever heard of any one of them coming to Christ. My friend, Harold Peasley, so captivated by the story, went to Sydney and met with Frank Jenner's daughter. They did some research. Best they can estimate, it's over 200,000 people that have surrendered their lives to Christ through the little witness of Frank Jenner. That story amazes me. But it really shouldn't. Let me give you a life application statement to help you know why it shouldn't amaze us. God desires to use us to display His power in the lives of others. I want you to read that off the screen with me out loud. You ready? One, two, three. God desires to use us to display His power in the lives of others. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible reveals to us the sovereign power of God. God is powerful. God is so big. Even when we think we kind of begin to understand how big God is. Let me just tell you, He's bigger. He created the world out of nothing. Theologians call it in Latin, ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. All that we can see, taste, touch, feel, or smell, God made it out of nothing. God parted the Red Sea and allowed the children of Israel to walk through unharmed. God provided for the children of Israel uh, manna from heaven. He's brought the dead back to life. We see him walking on water in Scripture. There is nothing too big for our God. We hear a story like Frank Jenner's and we say, wow, but the reality is God desires to use us to display his power in the lives of other people. We're in the middle of a series right now that we're calling Miracles. Extraordinary power, everyday life. 
And we've given you a definition of what miracles are. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Miracles are the extraordinary power of God unleashed in the middle of our everyday lives. And I'll ask you again this morning, how many of you need to experience God's power in your everyday life? Let me see your hand, right? I mean, we need to see it. And that's what we've kind of been thinking about over this series. But but I want to ask you a different question this morning. How many of you know someone? Who needs to experience God's power? Maybe. Maybe God desires to unleash His power into their lives through you. Ever thought about that? I want you to take your Bible, if you have it, go to Mark chapter 2. We've been looking at some different characteristics that invited the extraordinary power of God into the everyday lives of some ordinary people. But today I want to read a passage of scripture where it's a little bit different. God worked in somebody's life, but he did it through a group of men, these faithful friends. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, here's what it says. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. Now, to kind of give you the backdrop here leading into chapter 2, Jesus has been teaching. He's been performing miracles. So when they heard he was home, it was game on. Everybody's coming to see Jesus. Verse 2, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. So Jesus is in the house. Everybody's packed in the house. They're spilling outside. They're looking in through the windows. They're leaning in in the doors. There's absolutely no room in the place. Verse 3. And what is the next word? They. That's all we know about them. They. We don't have their names. We'll get to meet them in heaven someday. But it's just they. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. There's the they, these four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, not just the paralytic's faith, but all their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves. That's pretty good. Said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? I'm sure that caught them off guard. Verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk? So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet 
and went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we ain't never seen nothing like this. Faithful friends. We see the power of God in this passage of scripture. We see the power of God over the mind. He knew what they were thinking. We see the power of God over the body. He healed this man's disease. We see the power of God here over the soul. He forgives this man's sin. The power of God is unleashed in an extraordinary way in this moment, but it happened because of these four men. So what I want us to do this morning is ask some questions. If you and I want to be used by God, To see God work powerfully in the lives of other people, we need to answer these three questions. Here's the first one. Am I watching for God's activity around me? Am I watching? Anybody ever been to a little kid's t-ball game? It's not even really like baseball, right? I mean, you go to a little kid's t-ball game, it's, 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 an, it's, it's an entertainment extravaganza to go watch little kids play t-ball, right? I mean, you go watch little kids play t-ball, and they're out there on the field, and I mean, some of them are picking their nose, some of them are picking flowers, some of them are pointing out shapes in the sky, some are swatting at butterflies, Especially in the outfield. Man, the ones that get in the outfield in T-ball, they just in their own world out there, right? Because you know the ball's not getting out there anyway. So they're just out there making up stuff. I mean, they're just creating games. And so, so if you've ever coached T-ball, the first thing that you have to begin to teach little kids when they're learning how to play the game of baseball is, is what coaches call be on your toes. And in baseball, the important principle is to get up on the, the balls of your feet and get on your toes because in baseball, you never know when the ball's coming at you. So baseball is not a game where it's constantly you're involved in the action like some other sports. There are times in baseball where you're just kind of watching and the ball's not coming to you, the action's not on your side of the field. And in T-ball, that means check out and do something else, right? And so you got to teach the kids the principle of staying on your toes and being ready. Being ready all the time because you just never know. Here's the principle. God's at work around us. These four guys, let me tell you what they were doing. They were on their toes. They were watching For God's activity around them. And when they saw it. They were ready. And listen. Not everybody close to Jesus on this day was. As a matter of fact. If you look back at the text. In verse 4. Look what it says. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd. You see the crowd was so focused on what Jesus could do for them. That they didn't even notice what God was doing around them. That's the picture of the church in North America. We have settled for a self-absorbed faith. We totally have a connection to Jesus and the church because of what Jesus can do for me. 
That's the crowd. They, they weren't looking for God's activity around them. They weren't watching to see, man, how can we connect others to Jesus? Man, where does God want to use me today? They were totally consumed with, what can I get out of this? To the point that they had blinders on to everything else that was going on around them. But not these four guys. Let me, let me try to give you a real practical application of this, just to think about. We're at church right now, right? We've come together for church. How many of you came here today with this thought? Lord, how do you want to work in me today? Hey, that's a good thought. We ought to have that. But there's a thousand other people in this service. How many came with this thought? Lord, how do you want to work through me today? Are you the crowd that's so pressed in to see what you can get that you've neglected to see hurting people all around you? That have walked in here today, some of them, in a real sense of complete desperation physically, spiritually, emotionally, and they're all around us, but we got blinders on. Oh, let's see if the music can stir me. Oh, let's see if Pastor Vance can bring it today. And we're totally oblivious to the fact that God's at work in the lives of people all around us. You're going to come in and you're going to go out and you're not going to talk to anybody. You're not going to connect with anybody. You're not going to hear anybody's story. You're not going to stop and pray over somebody that the Lord maybe is leading you to pray over. You're missing opportunities all around us. We've settled for a self-absorbed faith. And it's one of the reasons I think... We don't see God unleash His power in the North American church like in some other cultures around the world. God's ready. But we just got our blinders on. One of the most profound Bible studies that I have ever been through. I've mentioned it here a number of times, but it's by a man named Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God. It's the first Bible study we ever led this church through when we started together as a fellowship. Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God teaches us this principle. And one of the verses that Henry introduces us to right out of the gate is John 5, 17. Listen to what it says. My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. That little phrase, my father is working until now, it's in the present tense, meaning it's literally describing ongoing continuous action. It means this, God is always at work around us. Every day, everywhere, God is at work all around us. He's at work at school. He's at work, at, he's at, he's at work in our job. He's at work in our neighborhood. He's at work at our grocery store. He's at work on the ball field, at the park, at the gym. The principle that Henry Blackaby teaches that he unpacked from what Jesus said is that God is at work all around us. Here's the question. Are we living on our toes? Or are we swatting butterflies? Are we so distracted with other stuff in our life that we're missing God at work? Pastor Teddy and I traveled together this last week, preaching and leading in some different conferences and churches. And one of the places we were was in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, we were traveling there last week. And 
on the way to Memphis, uh, you know, we, I travel a lot, and there's, there's really not a lot of perks with traveling a lot, except that on Delta Airlines, thank God for first class, because, because I travel so much, I get bumped up a lot. I don't pay for it, but they just bump me up there, which is awesome. I'm thrilled to get it, because at my height, I love it when I get bumped up there. So on the flight going over to Memphis, I got bumped up to first class, and uh, at the last minute, another lady got bumped up to first class in the seat right beside me. And I, I got to be honest with you, can we be as transparent as I can be? Most of the time I get on an airplane, it's my happy place. I get to be away from everything else. Nobody can bother me. I put my headphones in, I get on Wi Fi, and I just kind of zone out and ignore the world for a couple of hours on an airplane. So I get on the airplane, I put my headphones in, get my laptop out, and sure enough, the Wi-Fi is not working. The lady next to me is trying to get on Wi-Fi, and I realize it's not working, so I turn to her and tell her it's not working, and next thing you know, we're knee-deep in a conversation. <laughs> About an hour and a half, two hours into the flight, man, this lady had just poured her entire heart out, and God had just put us there you could tell because he wanted to do something in her um, in a very unique way by the time we got off the plane um, she came up to Teddy and she said God put me here God upgraded me and didn't let the Wi-Fi work because I needed this conversation now here, here's what I want you to hear me say God's at work all around us God didn't upgrade me, so I didn't have to scrunch my knees up. God upgraded me so I could be next to Veronica. He knew what was going on in her life. The Wi-Fi didn't work because God didn't let it work. And, and, and a lot of times, I'll be honest, I, I'm, I'm so focused on what's going on in my own world that I miss those. God wasn't going to let me this time. He just... Stopped everything else until I did what he wanted me to do. But the principle I want you to hear me say is we, we, we got to be ready. God's working around you. How, how do we live ready? How do we live watching? Well, let me give you two, two tips. There's a daily preparation, first of all, that means time alone with God. Let me just say it this way. When, when my time with Jesus daily is right, it's amazing how, more opportunities, how many more opportunities I see around me. But when my time with Jesus isn't right, it's amazing how many opportunities I miss. Transparent as I can be, my flesh doesn't watch for God's opportunities. My flesh doesn't. You know what my flesh does? My flesh wants to take care of me. But when I'm walking full of the Holy Spirit, in tune with Jesus, having been with Him that morning, I see a whole lot more of those opportunities than I do when I don't. So there's that daily time with Jesus preparation, but then there's also the moment-by-moment um, -moment preparation. This constant conversation with God where we're saying, Okay, Lord, what are you doing here? Now, let me give you a life application principle. Everything God desires to do through my life, He will do out of the overflow of what He's doing in my life. When you find yourself in the middle of an unusual situation or circumstance, instead of getting frustrated, you know what you should say? Lord, okay, what are we doing here? When the Wi-Fi doesn't work and 
everything else is not like you thought it was going to be, then say, okay, Lord, what are we doing here? What, what, are you, what are you, why have you put me here? And in our flesh, what we do is we get frustrated, we get angry, and then we miss. I love the way Henry Blackaby said it in his study. Look at this quote. He says, the key to knowing God's voice is not a formula. It is not a method you can follow. Knowing God's voice comes from an intimate love relationship with God. Your relationship to him is of utmost importance. So here's question number one. Am I watching? Am I watching? Here's question number two. Am I willing to do whatever it takes? Another reason we are not seeing God display His extraordinary power in the North American church, I believe, is that we've settled for a faith of convenience. I'll follow Jesus until it costs me something. We think we've made a sacrifice by showing up at church. Let's just be honest. All right, I'll make the sacrifice to go. Lord, I'm doing this for you today. And if we'll sacrifice at all, here's the way we do it. I'll pray for you, brother. And I'm not trying to minimize the significance of prayer, but if prayer is our crutch to excuse ourselves from sacrificial involvement in the lives of others, we will not see God's power unleashed. Listen to what James said. James chapter 2. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food... And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled. I'm praying for you, brother. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Here's what James is saying. The kind of faith that sees God's power unleashed is active faith. It's a willingness to do whatever it takes. Oh, I want to see God move. Do we really? Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said about this passage. He said, they did not simply pray about it. But they put some feet to their prayers. And they did not permit the difficult circumstance to discourage them. Hey, these guys were willing to do whatever it takes. They sacrificed their time. The Bible tells us here that, that they came in verse number 3. They came bringing to them. The word came is a Greek word that means to go from one place to another place. They, they came and they came carrying this guy laying on a bed. Let me just tell you, that didn't happen in a minute. You ever tried to carry somebody else? Get four of you on the corners of a, a, a bed and try to haul somebody across town? You imagine, okay, well, I got to take a break. I'm slipping. Let's put it down. They sacrificed time. 
wasn't convenient for them. They, they, they sacrificed their abilities. They used their ability. The Bible says they were carrying this man. The word bringing here is a word that means to bear a burden. They, they, they were willing to use their abilities and gifts that God had given them. They were willing to invest their resources. See, where do you see that? Somebody had to fix this roof. You imagine? They get him there after carrying him all the way across town. They get into the house, and now they can't get in. The crowd's pressed outside the door. Nobody's even paying attention. Somebody says, hey, let's go up and try the roof. They, they climb up on top of the roof, and they begin to, somebody says, well, we, what are we going to do? Well, let's tear it up. Well, who's going to pay for that? One of them says, listen, I'll pay for it. Let's just get this man to Jesus. Whatever it takes. The bottom line is, Everything they had was on the table to be used by God to display His power in the lives of those around them. Everything they had was on the table. Is everything you have on the table? Your time? Your abilities? family, your resources, your job, what are you willing to sacrifice to see God's power unleashed? Sometimes what it takes doesn't make sense. Remember in Joshua chapter 6, when the children of Israel got to the taking the promised land, and there stands Jericho. Here's the plan. March around it seven times. Didn't make a lot of sense. Whatever it takes. Remember in Joshua chapter 3, sometimes what it takes is risky. Joshua chapter 3, they come up to the Jordan River and they got to cross this big river. And they'd heard the stories for years and years that God had parted the Red Sea. And they knew that when God parted the Red Sea, Moses just raised his staff and the sea parted. And now here they get to the Jordan River and here's the plan this time. Okay, the priest, we want you to begin to walk in the water first. And once you get in, then God said, then I'll, then I'll part it. <laughs> you willing to get your feet wet? It's risky. But like a fool, if it didn't happen, sometimes it's costly. You see, we all want to see the walls fall, but are we willing to walk around them seven times? We all want to see the waters part, but are we willing to step in and get our feet wet? We all want to see God's power unleashed, but are we willing to do whatever it takes? Am I watching? Am I willing? Here's the third question. Am I Waiting on Jesus to do what only He can do. These men knew that only Jesus could change their friend's life. Physically, spiritually. And the implication of this passage is that these men did everything they could to get their friend to Jesus. But they knew that only Jesus could do what needed to be done next. Here's the picture. 
They, they get him there after all this struggle and effort. They get him up on the roof. They tear it off. I don't even know how they created some kind of rope and pulley and got this guy down there. And you imagine this here. Jesus is teaching this crowd. You imagine what that scene was like as pieces of roof just started kind of falling down on his head. People are like, what's going on here? You imagine if right now I'm up here teaching, all of a sudden just pieces of roof start falling down here. Next thing you know, there's a big old hole for me and looking down. And here he comes. And now they get him down there. And all four men just leaning in. Waiting on Jesus. And it says, seeing their faith. It's as if Jesus went. And then you look back at that man. And all five of their eyes said, now we're just waiting on you. There was a confidence about their faith. Here's what that means. They believed Jesus could, but there was also an expectancy about their faith. They believed Jesus would. They didn't just think he could do it. They thought he would do it. If we can just get him there. It's exactly what Hebrews Chapter 11 talks about, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that's confident faith, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him, that's expectant faith. They were waiting on Jesus. You know, as I thought about this passage of scripture this week, let me tell you what I thought about. Every weekend at Hope Church, we come together. There's a team of people behind the scenes that work hard in prayer, in sacrifice of their time, both staff and volunteers, so that when you walk in here on Sunday, it's ready. It's ready. Some of you work hard inviting people to come, to bring them here. And the goal is that we, we, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, create an experience that leads you to the feet of Jesus. But hear me carefully. Hope Church can't change your life. But Jesus can. And so this morning, we have gathered here. We have gathered with a spirit of confidence. Believing that He can. And we've gathered with a spirit of expectancy, believing that it will. And some of you are here today because a friend or a family member or a co-worker or a neighbor or a total stranger invited you to be here. And there are two things that Jesus said to this man that you need to hear him say to you today. Some of you need to hear him say, just like he said to this man, son, your sins are forgiven. The word forgiven means to to remove away from. A definition of forgiveness is the removal of the guilt and shame of sin, past, present, and future. Here's what the gospel says. The gospel says that every one of us have sinned against God. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. 
And because of our sin, we're separated from a relationship with God. There's nothing I can do to earn it. There's nothing I can do to change it. There's nothing I can do to merit God's favor. I'm separated from God because of my sin. I need somebody to deal with my sin and remove it so that I can be forgiven and be restored into a relationship with God. And the gospel says that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Jesus came and he died on a cross and he rose again from the dead to pay the penalty for our sin so that you and I can be forgiven and be given a relationship with God. Some of you walked in here this morning and you are lost. You are separated from God because of your sin. There's nothing you can do to earn it, but I want you to know today Jesus can say, your sins are forgiven you. You can be forgiven. You can experience salvation. In just a moment, we're going to have some pastors here at the front. We're going to sing a song of worship. And as we do that in just a moment, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you come to one of these pastors and simply say, I need Jesus. We'll have somebody sit down with you and show you from a Bible how you can be forgiven of your sins and begin a relationship with God. But there's a second thing he said that some of you need to hear today. He said, I say to you, get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. See, he'd already been forgiven. The spiritual stuff was already taken care of. Some of you need to hear him say today, get up. Some of you need to hear it today in your health. Some of you need to hear it today in your marriage. One of the places I spoke this week after the service, a man came up and slipped me a note. I greeted people for a little bit, and after doing that, I noticed that that man and his wife were still there. He came up and said, you read the note? I said, well, I've been greeting people. He said, would you read it now? I thought, this is awkward. He's standing right here. <laughs> Opened the note. And the note said, 37 years of marriage is about to end in divorce unless God shows up. And there he stood with his sweet little wife. They'd been in some counseling, but he'd quit going. She was blown away they would even come up and say anything. Some of you are right there. Teddy and I got to lay hands on that couple and pray for the power of God to show up. Get up! Pick up your pallet and walk. Listen, there's freedom in Christ. Some of you need it in your job. Some of you just need it emotionally. You, you've let circumstances and situations get you down. You're living in the dumps. Hear him today. Get up! Pick up your pallet. We're going to open these altars up here in just a moment. Some of you need to get up. Just get down here on your face before God. 
and just cry out to God to unleash His power. If you want to pray with one of our pastors, we're going to be here at the front. Be honored to pray with you today. What's God saying to you? Maybe today you just need to come get in these altars and God's put somebody on your heart. It's not about what God wants to do in your life. It's about what God wants to do through your life. And you need to get down here just like I had to this morning over two men and a couple of people in our church and just begin to pray for them. Oh, God, my yes is on the table, whatever I need to do to get them to you.